0: Hello, good day, and welcome to Party in China, Series 2, Episode 18. I'm Party Parslow, and this episode begins upon my second bleary morning in my noisy Shanghai hotel. I'm told I talk in my sleep, engage, in fact, in complete conversations of which I have no memory afterwards. And sometimes, rather than sleep talk, I sleep right. After a restless, unrefreshing night in the city that never sleeps but still snores, I found this scrawled on a napkin. I've invented a new cocktail. Premix. Several pints of Guinness and Kilkenny. Serendipitously discovered Cooper's Sparkling Ale... A couple of Bushmills Black Label Whiskies and one Pizza Hut Slippery Nipple. Well, it seemed like a good idea at the time. Add generous amounts of all-night trucks. Brakes squealing. All-night buses. Horns blaring. All-night fornicative thumps against the hotel wall. Woman screaming. Then wait a few hours and mix in (laughs) woman, crying, man, yelling, door, slamming, woman, yelling at slam door. Lastly, let first light blare through the open window to burn your finally sleeping eyes. I call it Shanghai Dawn. On the other side of the napkin... I'd written Schindler's List, the musical. So I'm glad I've forgotten that dream. After my mostly sleepless night and yet another complicated, convoluted bus and subway journey, it was a relief to find very few passengers on our homebound coach. I made the most of the space by stretching out luxuriously along the back seat. Around 7.30am, we set off in what again felt like circles. But I couldn't blame Ron in a sense of direction this time. She wasn't driving the bus. We motored up onto the overhead freeways, which draped the city in all directions, often entangling in huge, sweeping, confusing intersections. An hour or more later, we descended to the earth's surface and entered the car park of a huge sporting arena. Ronna told me it was Hongkau Stadium and that they played golf inside. The internet says it's a football stadium with some squash courts and a rock climbing wall. So they must have gotten rid of the golf in the meantime. Ronna also told me that the bus driver had told her that we'd come to the stadium in order to change buses, as there weren't enough passengers on this one to make the trip worthwhile. So we got off, we waited, we waited some more, then we got back on again. As we headed off, the driver opened the rear door and chucked a tight U-turn so that the dozen or so plastic bags of garbage in the rear stairwell were thrown out by the centrifugal force. A decrepit old man instantly appeared and started ripping them up, looking for scraps. So what I thought was dumping may perhaps have been donating. Seeing something promising in a bag still stuck on the lowest step, he reached in and yanked it out just before the doors slammed shut on his arm. It takes a long time to drive out of Shanghai's urban sprawl, but just like... Actually, before I say this line, I'll let you know that I'm going to pause afterwards to give lady listeners time to yell at me, as a few of my female friends already have. It takes a long time to drive out of Shanghai's urban sprawl, but just like your girlfriend telling you all about her day at work, it only feels endless. (coughs) Right then, thank you. Anywhoosie what, eventually we were in the countryside and heading north. Ronna had enjoyed even less sleep than I had and wasn't looking well before we boarded. Well, she had indulged in half a pint of weak shandy (laughs) and a sip of my slippery nipple, wow. Now she did her best impression of an Irish Colleen by turning 40 shades of green and then quietly vomiting into the sick bag provided. She had no idea what to do with the transparent bag full of bile in her hand scanned the immediate area looking for inspiration, and tied the bag to the corner of the seat handle in front of her, leaving it dangling in the aisle. I hadn't liked the look of her breakfast when she bought it from a street vendor. Now I was treated to its semi-digested version, swinging back and forth before my eyes like some hideous hypnotic device. The side to side motion prompted my brain to supply an accompanying mantra in the same rhythm. Pile in the aisle, pile in the aisle, pile in the aisle. It was a long journey, and I couldn't help but notice that each time Ronna topped up the bag with more spew, she had to tie the top shorter, so the bag sat higher, so the pendulum swung faster. That Galileo bloke knew what he was on about. Back at the school, Summer called me into the glass box in reception, which was where serious conversations were held and eavesdropped upon by anybody in any of the nearby rooms. Sonny's English Club refused to provide the paperwork to transfer my foreign expert status. Hence, Summer, inviting me into the glass box. I should have anticipated that Sunny's wouldn't cooperate out of spite over my not coming back to them. Not that I'd ever said I would go back, but I never said I wouldn't either in order to make my end-of-year bonus more likely. Summer had brought up the problem before the Shanghai trip and I'd rung Mr Wong to see if he could help. Of course, Mr Putty. I will speak to them now. When I'd heard nothing back, I'd rung Sonny's myself and been yelled at by Vicky for going to another school, for changing my phone number when she'd been trying to ring me, for ringing Mr Wong. I wasn't allowed to speak to Mr Wong for getting her into trouble because Mr Wong had cancelled their contract. I'm sorry to say that I told her to f*** off and stop telling me who the hell I could talk to. I would then hung up and never spoke to anybody there again. Sorry, because Vicky had always been nice to me. Not that I'd intended to lose them the contract, but good on you, Mr Wong. So it looked very much like I'd be forced to leave the country permanently within a week or so. Which, frankly, since they'd started lending me out to the horrible Ganyu foreign language school, didn't seem to be too bad to me. However, there was a slight chance that the paperwork could be resurrected, so I was required to undergo a medical examination, just in case. So at 7am I was waiting outside the school. Pretty Betty showed up around 10 minutes later, on foot, all dolled up and sort of sprint stuttering along in a world class example of girly high heel running. She emerged from a swirling mist, giving a little squeal as a passing car almost splashed her from a gutter puddle, causing me to briefly believe I was in an episode of Sex in the Chinese City. While we waited half an hour for the, well, taxi isn't the right word, but it'll have to do, she called Summer to ask for guidance because I was drinking some bottled water. Summer had asked me not to eat or drink anything as I was having blood drawn. But I didn't think that included water. I wasn't having abdominal surgery. With many worried looks and much shaking of heads, it was decided that, despite my irresponsible rehydration, the medical exam could go ahead. Oh, goody. I said taxi wasn't the right word because... They're private cars that transport people between cities or long distances within the cities. It's all organised on mobile phones and everybody knows how to find one. Everybody except me, of course. And they're pretty good value. They charged only 20 or 30 Kwai three to five Australian dollars, for a trip to Singpu, which is where the action is in Lianyonggang. Unfortunately, the drivers cram in as many people as possible to make more money. So, Betty and I were driven to the other side of Ganyu, where a family of three adults and two children climbed into the back, forcing her into the corner against the opposite door. I'd had the foresight to snag the front seat, as I'd fallen for that game of Sino sardines once before. Since then, I refused to get in the back, and if another passenger was already in the front, would open the door and stare sadly at them until they relinquished their seat. I'm not sure of the legality of this private taxi service, but the drivers all studied at the same road safety school and failed. There were too many truly terrifying moments to recount. Near death, near misses that the term close shave doesn't come close to accurately describing. However, over the months, I changed my opinion from damning Chinese as the worst drivers in the world to admiring their high-speed daredevil acts. Once your insanity progresses to the point of being able to put aside your instinctive fear of imminent violent death, it's quite an entertaining ride. Emerging unscathed from a situation that had seemed inescapably fatal, I'd find myself making involuntary cries like you do on a roller coaster. If I'd been in a convertible, I'd have raised my hands in the air and whooped. The driver took us to a building which looked a lot more like an apartment block than a hospital. That's because it was the home of one of the headmasters the one who'd picked me up at the airport. But he wasn't expecting us, so we waited on the street for 30 minutes more. No great chore with Betty beside me. Until he sorted himself out and then he drove us to the International Medicine Hospital. Or tried to. The usual chaos had metastasized into a creeping cancer of traffic, a slow-moving circle of hell, with roadworks stretching the kilometres. After an hour or two of crawling up and down the same road, being outpaced by octogenarians on tricycles, we eventually found the right gap in the confusion and the driveway to the hospital, which was closed because they had no electricity due to the roadworks. So the headmaster drove us back to his place and we called and waited nearly an hour for another pretend taxi. Even the company of the lovely Betty couldn't compensate for a wasted day off and belly cramps from hunger. Betty kept insisting that the car would come soon and that there was no time for me to find food. Besides, there were no restaurants open nearby and if this driver couldn't find us, we'd have to wait much longer for another one. I liked Betty far too much to blame her, but my mood was darkening faster than a coal miner's bath towel. The pseudo cab eventually showed up and I shamed a man into giving me the front seat. We were transported in the usual hazardous manner back to the school where Betty reported our failure to Summer. And then Summer failed me. Betty hadn't brought any cash to pay the drivers, so I'd shelled out my hard earned and received receipts. I now handed them over and Summer handed me back half the money explaining that she could reimburse me for Betty's fares because she was rostered on. But as it was my day off, no refund for me. I'm nowhere near as insane now as I was then, but still today, I never know what's going to send me into a rage. I might laugh off the vilest insult or overreact to some harmless passing remark. On this occasion, my day off had been ruined and they were making me pay for the privilege. I was fighting the urge to go all Nicolas Cage when the headmaster walked into reception. So he could have driven us all the way back and saved me a lot of time and half the money, neither of which I was ever going to get back now. For the first time in Ganyu, I lost my temper. In fact, I skipped Nicolas Cage and went full Christian Bale, scaring the hell out of the adults and sending students running away, weeping and wailing. Summer tried to pay me back out of her own pocket, but that wasn't the point. Ronna came running out of her classroom and took one of my arms, Betty took the other, and together they led me out of the school and across the road towards my apartment, speaking soothingly. One of them was even stroking my hair. But I was too angry to sit in one place, thanked my friends for their concern and went for a long, long, long walk to calm down. Which was when I realised three things. Firstly, the worst thing that had happened was that I'd spent a few dollars spending several hours more or less alone with a beautiful woman who was also one of my best friends. Secondly, I still hadn't eaten anything and it was mid-afternoon. And thirdly, I seemed to be going quite mad. Still to come on Party in China, I'm forced to take a second shot at the hated medical examination and some other foreign teachers finally arrive and together we put the gang in Lianyung gang. I used to work in advertising. I'm Party parslow Thank you for listening. You've been listening to Party in China. For more, like us on... Facebook or follow us on Twitter. Subscribe to the podcast at Audio Boom, Stitcher, iTunes, or your favorite podcast distributor. This has been another quality podcast production from fights.com.